Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and explore how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. I am so excited for today's episode, but before we dive into it, I want to give just a little bit of context. So in this episode, we're diving into The Network State, which is a book and a concept that was created by Balaji Srinivasan, who is an investor. He was the CTO of Coinbase. Um, He's also just like a very well-respected thinker in tech. And so he published this book and, and has been sharing this concept about network states, which if you're not familiar with, we will break down in the episode. But it's definitely been inspiring a lot of people in the crypto ecosystem, um, and particularly in the DAO ecosystem, to potentially build, hopefully, what what people hope to become network states. And um, anytime that something like this is introduced, I think it's always really important to both break it down in terms of its merits and its potential challenges. And so in this episode, we are uh, focusing on some of the challenges with the network state. And I think I haven't seen like a ton of really healthy um, critique and criticism in my circles. So I'm very excited to be bringing Josh um, on the show and, and we'll get into Josh's background in the beginning as well. Um, that being said, I think I'll probably also do an episode where we explore the merits of network states and we touch on some of them in this episode as well. But I'm hoping to have um, like a really balanced exploration. And so this one definitely leans more heavily on the critique side. And and I think we'll do another episode that's a little bit more on the pro like network state understanding some of its merits despite its challenges. So all that is to say, there will be more of this type of conversation coming. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. All right, let's get into it. I am here with Josh Davila, otherwise known as the blockchain socialist. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm very excited to chat today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I cannot wait to dive in to the network state and uh, some of the things that you've been exploring recently around um, critiques of the network state and um, where Balaji sort of misses the mark on a few things. But before we even get into that, I would love to give and and have just a little bit of background on you and um, how you got into the space and your approach to the space. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that before we dive in. Yeah, so I <laughs> I originally got into, I guess, the crypto world or started taking it a lot more seriously in like late 2016, early 2017. Um, at the time, I was really broke. Um, I had recently graduated from college and I was... Um, one, I was working a job with that paid very, very little and I needed to make some extra cash. So to be honest, the first, uh, first thing that kind of like I was interested in, in the beginning was like, how can I make some money kind of fast because I have bills to pay. Um, and so I was interested in crypto in the beginning, uh, somewhat because of that. Um, but it was also during the time whenever Ethereum was becoming a lot more, uh, a lot more interesting. And, um, it was like right after the DAO hack and, and all these things and, the idea of smart contracts was something that like really, really uh, enticed me. I thought it was like a really, really interesting thing. Um, I had known about Bitcoin, but just as like something that you buy drugs online with, and mm-hmm. I never needed to, to buy drugs online, so I never, I never did that. Um, never got into it. So Ethereum was really something that that really resonated with me, and to me, it felt like uh, something that was really, really re- relevant for like uh, the left. Uh, politically, so like if you think about like the the historical things that the left was sort of interested in, um, as far as like democratically planned economies and like um, 
bringing democracy into like the economic space. A smart contract sounded like something that were that was like a really interesting tool to use in that in that vein. Um, but so I was I got really interested into it and was reading a lot about it as I was also involved in like various kind of like left wing political things. And um, yeah, after over the years, eventually I somehow found myself in a job that had to do with blockchain. And so I was working on it like a lot more over time while at the same time being kind of like frustrated with the left sort of like, I don't know, I guess hand waving away about, uh, about crypto and what I thought was interesting about it was never really kind of answered to a lot of the people who were giving their criticisms about crypto. And so um, after a long time of being very frustrated, I said, fuck it, why don't I try and, and try something? And I started a blog, which I very uncreatively named the Blockchain Socialist. <laughs> and uh, then that eventually moved more into podcasts since um, it was a lot easier to do podcasts, I realized, than trying to write something every week. Um, I still write, but not as often <laughs> as I did in the beginning. Um, and yeah, and since then, it's just kind of grown, started um, a couple of different online communities um, for people to be able to talk about it and like this weird intersection of, of left-wing politics and, and crypto. And it's kind of grown uh, since then. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I've been really enjoying your podcast. I think it's a really... Um refreshing and thoughtful approach to understanding a lot of the systems that we're building in crypto, especially because there are a lot of underlying assumptions that I think don't always align with my own beliefs. Um, and I really appreciate that you often interrogate those things. So you recently started the series on your podcast in collaboration with Blockchain Gov um, called Overthrowing the Network State, which I'm very excited to dive into and was so stoked to see. Um, and it's sort of a play on and, and actually directly interacting with the work of uh, Balaji, who wrote a book slash kind of piece of work called The Network State that's constantly evolving. But I'm really excited to dive into that with you today. I guess at like a high level, I definitely think it would be helpful to get just an overview of Balaji's main argument around the network state and hear how you think about what his main argument actually is. Um, and maybe yeah. in explaining that, you can also sort of give a little bit of context on why um, you decided to start this series, diving into some of that work. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the reason why we started the series, and we all start with that one, is just because I was hanging out with Primavera de Filippi um, in some of these like blockchain gov workshops in Paris um, with her and, you know, everyone else that was in blockchain gov. And a lot of the things that blockchain gov works on is like basically related to digital governance and thinking about you know, how can we potentially use blockchain technology, smart contracts and all the things that goes along with it in the context of uh, institutions and designing institutions and improving institutions, not necessarily about like how do we circumvent the state necessarily, but um, thinking about institutional design. Um, and uh, yeah, we were talking about it, and this was at a time whenever the network state was just about to come out or something like that, or right before, um, or right after. And uh, we were all kind of like talking about it, and we realized we all kind of agreed <laughs> on our uh, thoughts and opinions about the network state um, kind of overall. And, you know, we were just started talking and thought about, well, why don't we just collaborate? And because this is something we really want to explore, because it's something that we thought, um, because of Balaji's like, power and like wealth and status that it's probably going to gain 
a fair amount of popularity among crypto people because a lot of crypto people really hold Balaji in like positive regard. Um, so we wanted to kind of like uh, get ahead of that before before it got too far because we thought like the the network state had just like a lot of problems with it, um, and we wanted to uh, sort of take out the things that we thought were that people were interested in when it comes to the network state, but uh, bring it, talk about it in like a different light um, and like identify what are those things that people are interested in, but that don't actually have anything to do with the network state if you actually read the book. But so the book is kind of like, there there are two parts to the book, really. One is like the description of what the network state is or ideally should be which is basically chapter one and then chapter five, I think is the last chapter. And then chapters two, three, and four are basically his argument for justifying why network states need to exist uh, or why they, they will exist and that it's kind of like an inevitable thing. Um, and in his the, these middle chapters, uh, it's really like, uh, I, I kind of like worry about like how I explain it because people think that I'm like, I don't know, being mean to Balaji, but this is kind of like the way that he thinks, um, is that like he's saying that institutions uh, have been failing, which, you know, on the surface, I agree with. I do think that institutions have been failing us uh, in recent history, and a lot of people are frustrated by that. But sort of like his reasoning for why institutions are failing are really, really deeply embedded in like a far-right type of politics. Like he says that wokeism is kind of like you know, destroying the world and like cancel culture is like the worst thing that's ever happened. And, um, you know, has a lot of very, very, like, like very, very poor understanding of politics and history when, when you go through it. Um, so many that it's like impossible to like even list out the amount of inaccuracies that, that he goes through. (laughs) Um, and so like this, this whole like reasoning that he, that he lays out on like what, like what history is basically in trying to like use historical examples that are very ahistorical to sort of like draw allusions or like to create comparisons to what is happening today. Um, He uses that in order to explain what the network state is, which is like for him, the next evolution of the nation state, which is um, interesting. Um, So like he has this idea of the Leviathans or these three very large forces that make people behave pro-socially, which he says are uh, God, state, and network. Um, So uh, in history, we've gone from like religions being the thing that mainly forced us to act good, then it was the state, and now it's going to be networks. And by networks, what's really interesting is that he's never super, super clear about what he means by a network, uh, in my opinion. Uh, he He alludes a lot to like technical networks or like social media networks like digital platforms, um, but not really like, and like vaguely he kind of like points at like networks of people who are, I don't know, all really into like the same thing, but usually it, there's always some involvement of like the internet. So it's like kind of unclear if he means like an internet network or just like physical networks. Like it's, it's very, very fuzzy. Um, but uh, and so he's saying that the uh, at the moment we've gotten to a point like the state is sort of losing power to networks um, again like still quite in a in a vague way I think um, and the three main powers that are in existence he calls uh, woke capital 
which he defines as like the New York Times and like the American uh, government military establishment. Um, the the next one is communist capital, which is the Chinese Communist Party, and then the third major power is uh, crypto capital, which is everybody else who doesn't want to be stuck in this like battle between two authoritarians and who are interested in cryptocurrency. Uh, in my view, an extremely like re like reductive view of seeing the world and like where the poles of power actually exist, like to lump together like the entire American establishment as like being woke is like insane to me. It's like, I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense. And the entire framework itself is like very, very American, um, which is interesting because he says that network states are supposed to be like more useful for people who are not American, who don't live mm. in the US. But anyways, all that aside, um, he proposes network states, which is kind of like this idea of um, in, like a, a community that is largely based on exit. So people deciding that they want to exit the current system, that they sort of pool capital together. Um, they sort of make money together and they you know, do all the things that people do together, um, aligning themselves with a particular value or like a particular, what he calls a moral innovation. Um, he specifically says it has to be one moral in innovation because um, it's meant to be like a fork, a simple fork of society in which everything is the same, but one thing is different. The examples that he gives are things like uh, being keto, so that type of dietary thing, or being vegan, uh, all the way to like very, like, different things like uh, not wanting the FDA to exist. Um, mm -hmm. And so he proposes these as like different things that people will want to congregate over and then put money together and eventually buy land. And eventually um, like part of the definition of a network state is to declare sovereignty. Um, so you would buy land in a nation state, uh, which a nation state is like completely predicated on having sovereignty over a physical territory you would buy the land and then you would declare sovereignty within a sovereign nation um, and gain diplomatic recognition. And that's, you know, one, that's probably like the biggest issue that I think um, I have and that a lot of people have with the network state is that um, he's saying that states are bad and they're evil organizations and that like they need to be stopped. And so in order to defeat them, we need to build our own type of state in order to defeat those states. Um, so basically a recreation of the thing that he's saying that he so hates is necessary in order to like move on to this, our, our utopia where people only live with other people who are highly aligned with them because they all are vegan or something like that, or don't agree with the FDA. <laughs> um, and they create their own state out of it and gain diplomatic recognition, um, without really asking like, why would a sovereign state give you sovereignty within their sovereign land you know like um it completely ignores the entire history of statecraft and like the creation of nation states which is like by and large oftentimes an extremely violent process like it, it always involves like some type of war or some types of like geopolitical conflict where a lot of people get hurt uh, and involves a lot of violence um but he's saying that network states don't have to be violent because they're networks and they're people voluntarily decide to come together and do that. Um, but he doesn't like deal with this antagonism between like the sovereignty of a nation state and the sovereignty of a network state. Um, and so that's like 
kind of like the high level, I guess, like uh, big things about the network state. Um, I think it's been interesting to see, you know, at the same time, a lot of these DAOs and a lot of these like Web3 types of organizations now begin to declare themselves as a network state. Um, so it's been really interesting for me to see like basically what, what we thought would happen is that the network state would come out and like certain people would begin to align themselves with that idea. And they've certainly been doing that. And now like, you know, different DAOs are saying that they're a network state, but like at the same time, they describe what they're doing as nothing being like what a network state is as described by Balaji. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. And I definitely want to dive into um, several of the aspects that you talked about, including this question of like, you know, how much do we actually need to follow Balaji's um, tactics in order for these things to to be successful or I guess to, to get an outcome that we actually do want, because I'm not sure that we want an outcome to your point that Balaji outlines. Um, and I, I think before we even dive into to all of those pieces, it's worth just sort of um, getting at the core of what's interesting about this. And, and you and I talked prior to this, and, and you've also touched on this quite a bit in the podcast episodes where like this idea of the network state is intriguing to people, right? Like the fact that people are aligning with it, the fact that we're having a conversation about it right now. I mean, clearly there's something that's exciting and interesting and engaging here that that feels important. Um, if we kind of set aside a lot of these critical issues with the tactics of how you do this and, and even some of the idea of how you might define a network state, um, what do you think he's getting at that actually does have merit or, or maybe reframed why do you think people, particularly in crypto, are so intrigued by this idea? Uh, I think the biggest reason is that he's pointing out that institutions are failing, which is something that I think if you're interested in crypto, you probably more or less agree with that general feeling or you, gen or you have that sentiment. Like crypto was always like presented itself as like being some type of alternative, whether it's something that... Um, like as an alternative monetary system, like with Bitcoin, um, or I mean, even Ethereum presents like with smart contracts as an alternative to legal contracts. Like the reason that you're interested in, in, in that type of thing is because you believe that there is something wrong with the way that like institutions are working right now. And like, I agree with that like sentiment. Like, I also think that institutions have been failing tremendously over like <laughs> the past decades. Like, I, I don't I don't understand like how you can really look at the world today and really think like, yeah, institutions are doing really well right now. They're doing great. <laughs> People really trust them. Like, that's like, of course, like there's a lot of things that are deeply wrong with institutions that exist today. Um, so I think that's that's one thing. Another thing is that like he, he's the thing is he's you get the feeling like when I when I first witnessed or like heard about the network site, I was like. At first, I was like a little bit worried. I was like, "Oh shit, Balaji got to us. Got got to the thing that we're really interested in before us." Um, mm. Because and that thing for me is like is like using crypto and like the internet and these type of tools for governance across borders that don't mm. like need to adhere to like illegitimate type of legal systems, like to be able to collectively like do stuff together, do some sort of types of collective action that are 
like not just within one country or something like that, but across like many different countries and across the world, like the internet is like a global medium in which you can communicate to each other across the globe. Like smart contracts are automated, you know, scripts for different actions to happen based on certain criteria to be met. Like for me, there's a huge amount of like design space for thinking about like, like economics and institutions very, very differently if we were to like grab these tools and like to apply them in a particular way. Um, so like, I think like for me, I feel like that's the thing that people are like vaguely um, maybe unable to like uh, talk or like to, to express it very well. But I think those are the things that people are interested in. And you can see that with like early projects throughout crypto history, like bit nation and like these types of things that they're trying to do something kind of similar. Um, but in like still in a very like, in my opinion, naive and a little bit delusional way. Um, but I think like those are the things that people are kind of like, what is attracting them towards network state? The problem is that the network state says like absolutely nothing about those things, really. Um, There's just, just very, very vague. Like he says something about, you know, one of the things about a network state is it needs to have a social smart contract, which... I mean, I don't even know what that means. Like, he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> define like what is a what is a smart contract not social? Like, what makes it a social smart contract? Like, if it's <laughs> if is it something is it something that's mediated by people? Then it's not a smart contract. Like, you know, it's it, like it, it's like he's just taking like nice words and putting them together to make a new word and like to to answer like your like like I think what he does a really good job of is like kind of like I don't know like uh, answering for something that is inside your soul that you're like searching for that you don't really know but like vaguely like he's able to point at it in some way through through the meme of the network state. Um, so I think it's it's a lot of that. It's like people people have, because our institutions are failing, because we live in like a world that is highly alienating, that like people don't feel very connected with other people in their day-to-day lives. And like, you know, I think there is this general feeling of like lack in a lot of people that, you know, our souls are a little bit empty um, because we don't have like these like bonds with one another that we felt, that like maybe in the past people used to have that people were more more better connected and less alienated than we feel today. Um, like thinking about like if you are that type of person and then thinking about like oh if I just like get together with people who like who are really really into the things that I'm into and then we create this like cute like or you know closely knitted group where we do governance together we do things together like that sounds nice to people. Um, it's just mm-hmm. that everything else around it that he talks about is like pretty problematic. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like it's really about, and and part of the reason that this has caught on, I guess is the way I should frame it, um, is because ultimately he's pointing at something that does feel true, which is the institutions are failing and, and very few people, particularly in crypto would disagree with that. And he's creating a noun for a solution And then not necessarily articulating exactly what that's going to look like, or in the cases that he does, he's kind of ignoring factual evidence about history in a lot of cases and making a lot of arguments that have some uh, logical issues and and all of that. But it's really that he's pointing at a problem that people do feel deeply and providing some container for a solution. Do you feel like that's a fair way to characterize it? For sure. I think he's like, because he's able to point generally at that, what people that I see people are generally kind of doing is like projecting the thing that they wish network states were and just assuming that's what network states are Mm -hmm. because it sounds so good. Like that's such a good meme that like it must be this. Um, 
but like oftentimes like i've been in like too many like you know twitter conversations where people are like well but what about this i like this about the network states and i just ask them like have you read the book and like <laughs> a lot of the times they haven't read the book um and like if you're going to start a conversation or like a discussion or a debate with me about like whether or not network states are good or not like you have to at least have read the book <laughs> like i feel like that's a that's a minimum to ask for <laughs> totally yeah um so i think no matter what my opinion is always that people won't read the damn book like that's just <laughs> and people should but they won't so what i want to get into is some of the explorations that you've done around some of the most critical challenges with it and I think the the goal for me here at least, and we talked about this a little bit before, is like really to better understand what we do actually want to build um, so that when people say we're building a network state, they understand that they are pointing towards a solution that has a lot of issues with it. And hopefully from there, either rebranding what they're doing altogether or deciding, okay, we're going to take the network state meme back and we're going to redefine it in a way that feels more aligned with what we actually want, which I think is actually kind of the case anyways in crypto. You've talked about this in the pod as well. Like a lot of the cases of how DAOs are experimenting um, don't necessarily align with the way that Balaji uh, outlines we do some of these things. And so mm. I think diving into some specifics will be helpful here. Um, yeah. so maybe first, I mean, I don't know what feels most pressing to you in terms of, of your biggest issues and, and points of contention around how this stuff actually plays out. Um, I feel like one of the biggest ones is this like physical land piece and kind of like basically like modern colonialism to some degree, it feels like this is kind of rebranding it. Yeah. Um, maybe we can dive into that first. Yeah, sure. It's like definitely the the whole diplomatic recognition part and needing to buy land, uh, like those two together, I think are extremely problematic um, because it's not it's not a new thing. It's actually very very old. He's like re, he's repackaging like what a lot of libertarian projects have already been doing in the past, um, which really amounts to usually like buying land in a third world country and then like. Uh, putting you know getting a bunch of foreign capital invested into like this this group and into this piece of land and um basically using your capital as like power and leverage over like the third world country which is like dependent on foreign capital because of the way that you know this fucked up like economic world global system works in the first place um which essentially like that that is like a type of neocolonialism um and there's like a, a huge amount, there's a huge history of, of that, of like countries being destroyed by the similar types of things. Um, you know, usually when we think about colonial, colonialism, uh, like historically, we may think of like, I don't know, Britain colonizing the Americas or whatever else, like state-sponsored colonialism. Um, but that doesn't exist as much in that form anymore most types of colonialism today are type of neocolonialism where it's not state directed, but it's largely like capital directed. It's like people who, I mean, for the most part, usually come from countries that were colonizers um, who are very wealthy, go to these countries and like buy land and then um, try to exert influence and power over it. Um, so like that's, that's like a really problematic part just because of that. But I think even if you abstract that away, 
I think there's still something to think about. Like right now, like in a in a physical piece of land, there's still a lot of infrastructure. Um, unless you're get you're finding a place with like no infrastructure on it, in which case it's like hard to like the amount of like investment they have to put into like a piece of land with no infrastructure on it is like huge. Um, but so like you know you have so you have like these two choices: either you're going to take a piece, you're going to buy some land that has infrastructure on it, which is probably administered by the nation states that you are buying the land in, in which case they're like if you try to exert sovereignty over it, they're going to cut you off from those services or from that infrastructure. Or like it's kind of like a question of like, okay, who administers that infrastructure then? If it's already built and it's on your land, like, are you going to take over that infrastructure? Because like, do you have a military to do that? Like, what are you going to do? There are a lot of questions about that. And then there's like, if there is nothing, that means you have to invest a lot more capital. And if you're investing capital, what that means is you need to make a return. And the problem is that like a lot of this infrastructure that we depend on the state to build, like is, are not profitable endeavors. That's why they're given to the state to do, you know, like the state does it because a company is not going to do it um, because it doesn't make money. It's like not a viable business model. Um, and so you have like those two choices that are both like pretty bad choices. Um, but maybe I can talk about uh, a little bit about like the alternatives that I know that blockchain gov has been working about working on and like thinking about this problem. If, if that's the direction you want to go to. Yes, I love that. Yeah, so um, uh, so they've been doing so. Blockchain Gov has been doing a lot of research uh, as far as like trying to propose an alternative to network states and like um, kind of like one you know one to one like each attribute trying to like uh, come up with something different. But the uh, the blockchain Gov alternative they haven't really decided on the exact name that they want to use. They've proposed things like coordination or communication or common nation um is are, are like kind of like their alternative words that they're that they're thinking about trying out but as far as like this question of infrastructure the thing that they're in, they're less interested in like trying to exert sovereignty over like land and instead trying to like piggyback on the state the infrastructure that it's already giving um let the state do the things that it's decent at doing and 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 just take advantage of that and instead like think about um like what are the extra things what are the extra layers that the state does not provide and that the market does not provide um as far as governance goes and like um different types of like institutional structures that could be created um and build things on top of it um for people to like uh either live communally or to like be associated in like affinity groups and things like that. Um, so it's more about like uh, creating layers on top of these different types of institutions um, in order to like maximally uh, like most efficiently use the already existing resources that are on like a piece of land, for example. Um, so like rather than trying to like start from like a clean slate all over, um, it's instead about like trying to augment the things that, that are already there. I'm curious what kind of, what that kind of layer might look like. Like, do you have an example in mind? Um, I mean, I don't, because I'm not, um, I'm not uh, a part of, uh, I'm not in blockchain gov, like doing on that, on that research. So I don't know exactly um, what they want to do, but like kind of the things that 
I think about are like right now, the way that people kind of think about society or the economy or whatever you want to call it is that, you know, you have the public sector and then you have the private sector. And depending on like where you are in the political spectrum, you'll think one is the bad, the bad side and the other one is the good side. Um, and I think this is like a very like, uh, like flawed way of thinking about like the society and and economics um that there it's like losing this recognition that there are a lot of things that exist like not within the public sector not with like under state control and also does not run under the same logic as like the private sector and isn't meant for like profit maximization um and so i think like thinking about this third like usually they call it like either the civic sector or the autonomous sector like thinking about this space and where things can be, uh, where think where the holes can be filled, and like creating institutions there is what's interesting. Um, usually, those types of institutions that are considered part of the sector would be like worker cooperatives or other types of cooperatives, uh, labor unions. Um, usually, like religious affiliation groups, like churches and things like that, are considered part of that group. Um, other types of like hacker spaces, maker spaces, like these type of things that where people collectively choose to want to come together and do a thing without making it about making money and not having it under the control of the state um, is usually like the types of institutions that I would think would fit under this category. And I think is like the, the big thing that like crypto is really, really missing on like its opportunity for like be like being a force of good <laughs> rather than like a force of like scams and and all these types of things that people generally associate crypto with um so i think there's a lot of those types of examples that we can we can take from um but yeah hmm yeah it's kind of fascinating because as much as crypto could step into that role it often feels like the role of capital, particularly like venture capital and needing to have some sort of return on that investment. Um, the role that that plays in crypto today feels like it holds us back from being able to step into that space. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> I think, you know, for a lot of people, I think the, well, the problem, I think potentially partially at least is that a lot of people who are in crypto come from like they come from like this tech VC world. Um, they either come from like startups in Silicon Valley or whatever else, or they come from like, I don't know, management consulting or or these types of spaces where their mental models in their head are like really heavily based on these other types of things that they, they were doing before. Um, but the thing is like when you take venture capital investments or like, I mean, a lot of, I mean, most types of capital investment, you have to give a return that is like the deal with the devil that you're making. And so for a lot of people, like if you're uncritical, you'll think like, oh, of course, like, of course you have to do that. We have to make money. Like that's the right thing to do. Um, but to make a profit and especially to make a profit at the rates that a lot of venture capital expects, um, it like requires extraction. Like that's that's a given like you have to extract value out of people in order to make that profit and to like make whole on your on your debts essentially um and so i think because of of, of that like obsession or like not not obsession but just like expectation that you have to do that it 
holds back crypto and not being able to fill the role that I think it would be like more more helpful and more useful in in doing. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating because it feels like at least from that point and then the point that we were talking about earlier around, you know, um, what it looks like to instead of like taking over a piece of land, plug into specific layers of a um, society or a nation or even a local government where you can actually um, sort of serve as this like third option that is neither um, public nor the private sector. Um, it feels like right now, in my mind, the two sort of um, newer, I don't want to say newer, the two better versions then of building a network state-like uh, entity or getting at the same sort of challenges that Balaji is addressing would be, number one, hopefully not taking capital that needs to have a massive return. And number two, instead of trying to replace or compete with existing nation states, plugging into them and um, creating this like additional layer instead of having to like make these things mutually exclusive. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, definitely for sure. Um, those are two big parts of it. Yeah. Um, I think there are like, uh, like one of the things that Balaji is really obsessed with in his book is that he's like basically saying that politics has failed. Um, and that like, we, like, it's sort of like a, it's like a very, it's a very nihilistic point of view, I think, to think that, oh, there's nothing that we can do. We just have to like start all over somewhere. Um, it's like the, the type of point of view for someone who is so used to buying out of their problems. Like mm -hmm. if you're used to just, if, if you have something that is a political problem and you can just like put money at it, then like it's like there, there's something deeply, deeply wrong. You're not solving the political problem if you can just buy it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so like buying land and, you know, with your friends and trying to make a network state is not solving a political problem. Mm. This feels like it gets into another critique um, of the network state that you've been exploring around kind of this like over-indexing on exit and mm. a dynamic that has come up in a couple of the episodes is this idea of like commons-based governance versus exit-based governance. Can you talk a little bit more yep. about that? Yeah, sure. So yeah, uh, definitely the network state is like heavily is like heavily leaning into exit. Like there is this um, guy named Hirschman who wrote this book like Voice, Exit, and Loyalty, um, and he's really into like the or Balaji is really into like specifically his concepts of exit and voice, exit, and loyalty being like kind of like three different types of governance. Um, so Balaji it wants to exit from society. Like he he, and this is like. He's been like this for like at least a decade. You know, 2013, Y Combinator speech, he gave one titled uh, Silicon Valley's Ultimate Exit, um, which was essentially like the, the beginnings of the idea of his network state in which he basically pointed at all these like libertarian um, past projects of like seasteading, of like, you know, making these like libertarian utopias and different things. Um, so that, that's like a really, it's also like very similar to venture capital investments. Right. Like when you are a venture capitalist, you you give a bunch of money and you hope that this uh, startup is going to grow uh, exponentially. And then at a, some point, at some point, it's going to get too big or it's going to like reach its max. And that's when you exit. And like that, 
that that exit is like the it's like the pinnacle of like that like if you exit at the right time that's like success because you've made a shit ton of money um and this is like this is like heavily predicated on like a very particular view of property um one like one of private property um and so like with the alternative that we're trying to propose is we're trying to bring back the idea of like the commons and common property, which is like a different type of property regime, which doesn't like allow a single person or a single entity to own like with all rights over a piece of like land over a piece of like of assets of, you know, of, of property. Um, and so we're trying to like, think about how do we apply that when it comes to like these, these larger things, which is like not a new, it's not a new thing necessarily. Like this is pretty old, like Eleanor Ostrom, of course, I think a lot of people know, like wrote these like eight recommendations for people who, um, who want to, you know, govern resources as a commons. Um, but what is important to note here is that a commons requires governance. Like it requires people to talk to other people and like, have relationships with other people and you know sometimes there is conflict but when there is conflict you don't just exit you don't let's just like leave um in a lot of cases it's because you can't leave because you're like living in a society which is like um you know a fabric of different types of things that you need to stay and just because someone else doesn't want to be vegan doesn't mean that you're going to like exit and <laughs> fork that society into something else to create a network state um but so like thinking about governance and thinking about especially in through the framework and through the lens of of the commons is something that's like a lot more interesting to me and i think i think if people more people were presented that would be a lot more interesting to them i think what's important if you're someone who like is really into the network state and you're into the commons then you're missing the fact that balaji is very very not describing the commons when he talks about a network state and you can't really based on what he like he talks about and what he's describing as a network state you can't just like oh let's just make a network state like a commons network state like that's not really like to me that those 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 are incompatible then you're not talking mm. about a network state at all at that point um but so like for me i think about um i like to think about capital as also a form of governance um like especially governance over our resources. If we think about the economy, uh, generally, like we use capital to decide like what things get created, what things don't get created. Like if you have a shit ton of money, then if you're a billionaire, you can like, you can force a shit ton of labor and resources to go into doing a thing because you have the capital. Like you can think of capital as almost like the governance token of the economy under capitalism at the moment. Um, and that has a lot of problems as, as like, if you're paying attention to the world, like um, it gives a lot of power to billionaires and, and things like that. And so like the idea of the commons is to think about like, to, to not value uh, capital as something that like should govern our resources, but instead we should think more about like much more multifaceted, like things that you would do with property and whether or not like, someone has a right to either use it if someone has a right to make money off of it as if someone has a right to like do this or that with it like in in a collective with other people who also wants to use those resources um mm. so yeah can we talk for just a second about tragedy of the commons because in i forget which episode you 
someone referenced tragedy of the commons and everyone was like, oh yeah, that's obviously a myth. That I just don't think is common knowledge at all. So can you just yeah. talk a little bit about the idea of tragedy of the commons and why it's why it's sort of a misconstrued concept? Yeah, so the the tragedy of the commons was coined by some guy that I do not remember his name, but he was an economist and he was like a like he was a hard right winger, like he was known to like very racist, uh, eugenicist type of guy uh, who coined this term. Um, but essentially he did this research, uh, which was like very, very bad. Um, and bas- and like things that weren't commons or treated as commons, he just like noted that, oh, see, this like never works because people aren't able to uh, work together and therefore we need a market in order to, um, you know, to be able to do stuff together um, or else things will just collapse because we just can't govern together. Um, what that really misses is that whenever at least Ostrom describes a commons, she uses it in two different ways. So there's the commons as like the thing, like, uh, like the, I don't know, like the fish, the, the fish in a, in a river in a village is like a commons um, like fisheries are like a really common, uh, <laughs> I keep saying common, but it's a really um, <laughs> brought up a lot as an example of, of a commons. And people have to like govern like how much fish everybody can take out because if you take too much fish, then like the fishery will run out of fish and then people will starve. Um, that's one thing. But the other thing that when she talks about commons is talking about is like the governance over the thing that a commons is not just like a type of good, like in that like two by two square that a lot of people like to do of uh, excludable and whatever else. Um, But it also means that it's something that is governed by the people who are like part of the the collective group who are like around these commons. Um, And so like this guy just like took a bunch of really shitty examples and a bunch of really shitty data and basically tried to say that, the commons don't exist. What's really funny is that like after so many years of, uh, after his work was published, he admitted that his work was kind of bunk and that like, you know, he wishes that he hadn't published it and, and all these other things. But yeah, it's, it's a complete lie. And it's used as just like this meme for people to like not do politics together, to not like not govern together. Um, as an ex- And usually the people who do that are like, rich people like they love to talk about tragedy of the commons like oh like i yes i would love to like be a part of your socialist commune or whatever like I w- of course that sounds nice and not like it sounds good in 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 theory but in practice oh no the tragedy of the commons like we can't do that um so yeah it's, it's basically a bullshit excuse which is fascinating because i think it's a i mean it's totally a core assumption in still a lot of like modern day economic theory, even economic theory that I think leans um, more like liberal, I guess would be the best term, but I don't even think that's a good term. Um, So I think it's fascinating. And I think tons of crypto economic systems are built on the idea of tragedy of the commons, like not, not solely, but I feel like that's an assumption that underpins a lot of this stuff. So calling it out and then also introducing this notion of commons based governance um, into the broader crypto dialogue. I think, of course, people who um, have studied Ostrom and others have sort of like been uh, mulling over and practicing these things for a while. But um, 
it feels like something that we just kind of ignore in crypto so far. Um, and, and maybe part of that goes back to this idea of, you know, common space governance and incredible private property um, driven systems are, I think, tricky in terms of combining them. Um, mm. Maybe it's just that like they do have to exist at different layers. Do you, do you think that those things are, are able to coexist? How do you mean? You mean like private property and commons? Yeah, like systems that are built with this heavy emphasis on private property, which I think a lot of crypto is. I mean, even the idea of like, um, I don't know, owning your own um, crypto and you only having the keys. And I, I don't know, there, there's something about crypto that I think is very, at least yeah. today, um, like entrenched in this idea of private property. And also that feels like it interacts in a weird way with this idea of common space governance where it's like I'm trying to imagine a world in which they are coexisting in systems really effectively. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the thing is, like, I don't know, at least for me, the entire time I've been interested in crypto, like there's always been a very heavy emphasis on private property by a lot of people who are involved. Um, and I don't know. For me, I've always just been like on the sidelines being like, that's not true. <laughs> like, they, <laughs> like there are there are other ways of thinking about it. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, and so it's really nice. Like only recently, like has has that like, I think begun to change a bit just because we finally have been reaching potentially the limits of like private pro of like this like heavy emphasis on private property and like market based mechanisms in order to like manage everything. Um, to like I'm I'm really unsure. Like I mean, look, I'm I'm heavily biased. I'm a socialist, in case people didn't know that. Um and I think like I, I really think that private property should not exist like uh, at all, personally. Um like it, the abolishment of private property is like ultimately what I would love to see. Um whether or not that can work together, like maybe it has to work well together at some point, just because of like the contradictions of trying to like manage something as a commons while under a economic system and like a property regime that is so heavily based on private property that like it, it will have to be. And I, if we, we, we don't have time to get into this probably, but I really like Primavera's um, uh, research on this idea of extitutions, I think is like kind of relevant here of like, how do you take um, like an existing institution and the rules of that institution and sort of, um, you like manipulate it or subvert it in ways that still comply with the rules of the institution, but are subverting like the, the, the purpose and the reasoning behind those rules of those institutions. Mm. Like, I think some, some amount of that will probably have to be done if we want to like make this progression, like more towards like common ownership and collective governance and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, ideally I think like, private property shouldn't exist but um not not and not in the way that like i think sometimes gets uh uh you know like satirized of like like i don't care i don't want your toothbrush you know like people say like communists will come after your toothbrush or something like that like there's there's a difference for me between private property and personal property personal property are things that like you own and that are yours that you know you don't make money off of uh, and private property is specifically thing that like is an investment and is something that you make money off of and try to like extract value out of. So that that's specifically what I mean by private property. Mm. 
Yeah, ultimately, this kind of makes me think of this, like, broad question as we close some of this out around just, like, human systems, no matter what, are going to be messy and complex. You know, things like governing the commons, to your point, means that people actually have to engage in discussions with each other, and that probably means disagreement and all of these things. And it kind of reminds me of a piece that David Phelps uh, published a few weeks ago um, called Bailout Brink. I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but... um, around some one of the things that he kind of talks about is like how much are we just using our financial system to like cope with our own trauma and not have to face it and some of this kind of reminds me of that it's like how much are we just avoiding like commons-based governance and and thinking differently about things like private property because we just don't want to deal with our own you know uh messy traumatic shit around trust and disagreement and vulnerability yeah I mean, I think that has a lot to do with just like, like capitalism as a system of alienation that like when you engage in capitalism a lot, when you think of everything as private property, when everything you do is dictated by like the movement of capital and markets, it's a very alienating feeling that, you know, because things are governed via capital, via this like very blunt force of, of like money and, and private property, like you then don't get a say, like it's inherently a type of dictatorship it's like a dictatorship by capital um and so that makes you feel like your voice isn't heard like your opinion doesn't matter and like that uh yeah we we then don't develop the skills in order to know how to how to collaborate with one another how to be like a good member of a group like how to deal with conflict effectively like i think we've lost we we lose a lot of those skills we don't develop those types of skills whenever like all these things are based so much of our life is based around capital and and private property. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I just started reading the dawn of everything partially because it's been recommended so many times and on your series. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the way that a lot of native Americans saw Europeans as just like, Holy shit, you are not free at all. You are under this (laughs) like wild regime and you don't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it's it's a great book. <laughs> I highly recommend other people listening to to, to read it. Um, I think it really it make it really expands like your whole idea. I think of what types of governance uh, and like property relations are possible or like that have already been done before. Um, but yeah, and that like the one that we're in right now is actually very very peculiar uh, in all of human history. Like this is not, it's not normal, I guess. It's not like, (laughs) this has not been the norm for a long time. This is quite recent. And um, yeah, it wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't the way that like humans were meant to, uh, to relate to one another. Totally. Well, Josh, this was so wonderful. Do you have any closing thoughts? Any, anything you, you think people who are intrigued by some of this stuff should go explore? Of course, where can people find you? All of those things, but anything you want to say before we close out? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, my blog and podcast, well, I, the, the series Overthrowing the Network State is going to continue. So we've done eight episodes so far. Um, a lot more are probably going to happen. Um, I have some episodes that haven't been released yet that like talking to libertarians and like people who would normally, you know, agree with Balaji. Uh, we talk about the network state and, and our criticisms. Um, so definitely check out that. Um, I'm on Twitter at TB Socialist. Um, I have uh, the crypto leftists online community. So we have a Discord and a subreddit on our Discord. We're doing community calls where we've been 
uh, kind of exploring some types of alternatives to the network state is sort of looking at existing or like previously proposed type of systems, things like um, the one that we did earlier today before I got on this call was venture communism. It was like this mm. idea uh, proposed by Dimitri Kleiner in like 2005. Um, I think people, there are other types of things like democratic confederalism is like a specific type of um, thing that's really interesting that they practice in Rojava. Um, Cosmo localism is another concept that I think is really interesting from the peer to peer foundation. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that deserve more attention than the network states personally, um, that I think are worth looking into for people if they want to look at alternatives. And those are a couple that I think maybe they can look into. Beautiful. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is so wonderful for anyone who's listening, truly cannot recommend the Overthrowing the Network State series enough. I have been sending it to everyone because I think it's fascinating. Um, and I'm I'm really grateful for the contributions that you're making around um, creating space for critiquing a lot of these things. I think it's really important. Thanks. I appreciate you giving me the time and space to talk about it. Of course. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Bye. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.